Hi there, listeners. Can you believe that we are at the final episode for 2022? I can't. That's two years in the bag for the Pink Elephant Podcast. Look, I do hope that this year you went deeper in your faith and discovered more of Jesus, more of the kingdom and more of this incredible gospel that will never cease to be relevant to this world and its people, including us. For this final episode, I will continue with the legacy I started with the first finale episode, Statements We Could Do Without. To refresh your memory, this is the episode where I challenged some catchphrases that we say in the Christian world that have so easily slipped into our conversations as though they are the complete truth without question. This is what I propose to you. We are a catchphrased obsessed community. We love a short, profound statement that we can beautify and put on Instagram, that we can decorate on a Canva doc and then put in a frame to inspire us. But the compromise is that often these statements don't tell the full picture. And maybe this is unintentionally so, but either way, they aren't always the most healthy statements for us to use. Like last time, I talked about the catchphrase, blessed to be a blessing, which sometimes gives the impression that God blesses with strings attached. Instead of recognizing that he just blesses us, whether we are in his family or not, because it's a part of his nature. In this episode, not only am I going to observe a few catchphrases that exist in the Christian world, but I've also gotten a great man to join in the conversation. His name is Tim Whitaker. Who is Tim? Well, earlier this year, I did an episode about spiritual gifts in which I mentioned Tim from the New Evangelicals as someone I believe to have a gift of apostleship that hasn't quite been understood by the Christian world. Anyhow, I reached out to Tim to let him know that I mentioned him and he was keen to come on the podcast, which, you know, I'm super stoked about. But Tim also represents a large group of people who are deconstructing, especially in response to what many call the white American evangelical church. Now, some of you may have heard this term deconstruction and some of you may not. But for those of you who have heard it, I'm betting that it probably hasn't been very positive things. It probably has been quite negative because there is a lot of negative things being said about deconstruction from famous pastors and preachers. Deconstruction is a really broad term, as Tim will explain. Yes, for some, it has meant walking away from faith. And for others, it has been a deepening of their love for Jesus it doesn't always lead to the same outcome. Anyhow, I'll let Tim speak for himself, but basically Tim is going to contribute some of his thoughts on how these particular statements aren't really helpful. Awesome. Okay. Thanks so much for being on the show, uh, Tim. I am just like ecstatic that you are able to be on here. It's so cool. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks for having me. As a podcast host, it's nice to be on someone else's show and ask questions. So anytime I'm like, <laughs> yes, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Well, look, um, I know that some of the guys that listen to my podcast would probably know very little, if 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 not nothing at all about you. So I would love it if you could just tell us who you are and what is this whole new evangelical thing that you're doing? 
Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, first off, as I'm sure you can tell, I'm from America, uh, not Australia. Um, I was born and raised in New Jersey, uh, homeschooled till ninth grade, grew up in pretty fundamentalist evangelical circles. So very literal reading of the Bible, you know, uh, whatever the Bible says we're going to follow. Um, always committed to Jesus. Um, long story short, through a lot of twists and turns, and with the election of Donald Trump and then the George Floyd protests after he was murdered and COVID, um, I had to rethink um, my relationship to American evangelicalism. And we can define that later on. But essentially, I just realized that to stay committed to Jesus, I had to find new ways of being Christian that were not part of my faith tradition. And so mm. I started the new evangelicals in December of 2020, really just asking the question, anyone else there, anyone else out there thinking about these things or wondering mm. about how we view the Bible, wondering about, about how the church's response to COVID in America was really lackluster. Um, you know, and that kind of blew up and I discovered the term deconstruction after I started mm. that account. And, um, you know, I've been doing that work ever since, but we essentially, we primarily exist as new evangelicals, uh, for the marginalized voices of the evangelical church. So Hmm. we deal with a lot of people who have been church hurt, who have dealt with abuse, trying to salvage their theology. So what we tell people is that most of the folks in our community are having a crisis of theology, not a crisis of faith. Right. So most people are not wondering if God exists or not. They're not even wondering which God exists or not. They're wondering how do they follow Jesus better? And their evangelical history has not provided that for them. So that's kind of a a brief snapshot of me and what I do now. We're a nonprofit and we we operate solely on donations and I'm able to make a, a small living doing that. And that's the work that we do. That's awesome. So like you do obviously represent a lot of people who are deconstructing and they, and from memory, like you do have some um, ways for people to like, um, I don't know whether it's like uh, teaching or content or something to help them through the deconstruction process and all that kind of stuff as well. I know that there is a lot of um, uh, definitions out there about deconstruction that let's, let's face it is super negative so I would love it as someone who has deconstructed, as someone who, you know, talks to a lot of people, is, you know, in the know with a lot of people who are also deconstructing. Could you explain to my listeners, like, what is deconstruction even? Yeah. Well, first off, we should be fair, right? The term is is used widely and used differently. And we recognize mm. that. You know, I'm not going to tell you here is the official non-negotiable definition of deconstruction. The way I like to phrase it is deconstruction. First off, it's an explosion. It's not a movement. Okay. Meaning Mm. people are going in all different directions, but ultimately what it comes down to is people who are rethinking, who are dismantling, who are, are thinking about how they grew up and what they were taught about usually the Christian tradition and how it wasn't sufficient and, and how they, they, they have to build something different than what they were given or what they built previously. So like one way that you could look at it in my context would be, it's like I bought a piece of Ikea furniture. I think you guys have Ikea in Australia, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Where are they as- not? You're right. Exactly. <laughs> so imagine getting a piece of Ikea furniture and you, you know, you, you built your desk, you're at the last screw and you realize like, oh my God, I built it wrong. Like I have this one piece out of place, right? Or I misread the manual. 
deconstruction is taking apart that desk and saying, I can't, it, it can't function like this. I have to re, I have to dismantle it, see where I went wrong and then try and reassemble pieces or throw it away. Right. Mm. That's kind of a snapshot of deconstruction. I don't like that term a whole lot. I mean, I'm willing to use it, but I'm not like deconstruction is our motto. We use terms like disentangling our faith, um, you know, mm. trying to renegotiate our faith, trying to find better paths forward in the Christian tradition. But that term deconstruction can easily be applied to any of those terms. Yeah, it is true. Like, it's funny. Like, my first, uh, like, uh, hearing of the word deconstruction was when there was that trend of having deconstructed salads and things like that. So <laughs> yeah, then when right. you hear it in the context of this, you're like, huh? Right, right. Okay. (laughs) But anyway, um, no, that was actually that analogy is probably one of the best, like, um, yeah, definitions I've heard of deconstruction because why would you keep building something that is missing a piece? Like, um, why would you, like, why would you, okay, like if just say it's like a table, why would you put anything on that table? Like, and so it sort of like recognises that there is a point that you get to where you go, I actually can't, I can't unsee what I've seen, which relates a lot to the book about disillusionment that I wrote like a couple of years back um, where like I basically say that disillusionment is this point that you get to where you go, I am so confused by what I've seen. It does not marry up that I can't even like, I cannot even go forward with this anymore. I must actually like acknowledge that this is this doesn't this doesn't marry up you know so yeah that's that was awesome really good so i mean i personally think that especially when you use that analogy i personally think that deconstruction in a way needs to happen like i grew up in a hindu family and i went to a christian school so i had this kind of weird sort of uh, Mm. perspective because I was being able to observe Christian people and Christian families, but I was not one of them. And I remember thinking, what the heck's with that? Like, why do Christian parents, like, bug their kids about that? Like, why do they do that? You know, why is like, and I watched it as an observer rather than being in it thinking that this is the way it's supposed to be, you know. Um, And i got to say, like, it's like, there are a lot of things that happen in in church and the Christian world that actually have nothing to do with the Bible. It's just that somewhere along the line, someone said, this is a good idea for Christian people to do, and therefore we should do it. Hmm. You know, so like, and so I think there is this, like, if you've been brought up in that culture all your life and you've assumed that this is the way it is, mm-hmm. you've, you have to deconstruct to realise that actually there's a whole world outside of what you do, guys. Like, it's not, this isn't it. Like, this is not... Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah. so personally, I think it needs to happen, mm-hmm. but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Do you think it's something that, you know? Yeah. I mean, listen, the life is about progress. Uh, the Christian tradition is full of people who have reformed or or rethought things or pushed things in different directions. Yes. Uh, even even the Protestant Reformation, you know, Martin Luther is critiquing the Catholic Church, trying to find Absolutely. new ways forward. Right? We so many of so much of our theology now stands on on their on his shoulders and that movement's shoulders. Um, mm. And so, you know, I think that what happens is I call them gatekeepers, like evangelical gatekeepers. They mm. are really static, and they're just focused on protecting 
what they believe is the only true expression of the Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. And when you start questioning some of those tenets, some of those boundaries, usually it's around, uh, is hell eternal or not? Is the Bible Mm -hmm. to be taken literally or not? Um, Is queer inclusion biblical, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, or not, right? Once you start toying around with those things, you start asking questions or coming really more importantly to different conclusions, what you've been taught, that's when people start getting really tense. But this Mm -hmm. is the way that life is. I mean, even in the scriptures, you can look at how Paul is really rethinking circumcision, right? Here's Paul, a Pharisee, a a devoted Jewish figure brought up obviously on the notion that to be inside the family of God is to be circumcised. And he goes, well, in light of, of, in in light of Christ and in light of circumcision of the heart, what really is circumcision? Right. And they have to have (laughs) have that. They have to have a council and acts to talk about this. And they debate Mm. it and they decide ultimately that 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 this Jesus community does not make circumcision physically a a necessary requirement to be considered in the family of God. Right. Mm. So even there, we can see how how Paul was taking things and kind of pushing them in a certain direction. So certainly when it comes to the term deconstruction. And I want to be clear here. I'm, you know, some people take the exit ramp and leave the Christian faith completely. I get yes. that. And I respect it. And I understand why they do that. But for yeah. our, for our purposes here, we're using that term in a way of rethinking, of renegotiating, of, of, mm. of, of disentangling the Christian tradition yes. from racism, misogyny, homophobia, fundamentalism. Mm. So to me, yes, it's a, it's a beautiful evolution of what the Christian hmm. faith needs to become as we continue on the journey of life. That's brilliant. So, so well said. Awesome. Well, thank you. Look, <laughs> <laughs> that's, what you get. that's what you get when you spend all your time thinking about this stuff. You, know, you can't sleep yeah. at night because you're just you're trying to think, what's the language I have to put to terms like this that are very hard to define? So I'm well, glad all my effort it. paid off. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. So Thanks. look, I want to I want to proceed with like what is traditional for this particular episode, which is um, the fi- final episode of the season, and that's statements we could do without. And so Sure. I want to jump into that. And so I'm I'm loving that I'm going to have you, Tim, here to like put some thoughts on some of these statements that I personally know have been thrown around in the Christian world and probably have not really been questioned for whether or not they are truthful. The purpose, you know, has has definitely been to have a cool catchphrase. So let's start. First one. I'm in. You're, okay. So this one's like a little bit of a, a an interesting one because it could be like you could have a blank and you can insert a word into that blank, right? So you're not a Christian if you don't blank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it could be you're not a Christian if you do blank. Yeah. The, the one that's most typical for, for me, what I've heard is you're not a Christian if you don't go to church. Okay. A big one in our context. Yeah. Well, a big one in our context is you're not a Christian if you vote Democrat. That's what we hear a lot. Okay, I, I, you know, I'm sure for an Australian audience, some of this might seem like, "Are you serious?" And my answer is, "Yes, I'm completely serious." Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know American evangelicalism has been exported. I'm sure that some in your audience have experienced like tastes of that. But when you mm. have, you know, mouthfuls upon mouthfuls, that's the kind of stuff that you hear, uh, because America right now is really going through a, a far right evangelical political problem. So, you know, this phrase, you're not a Christian if you don't or if you do, uh, you know, essentially it's it's a term, it's a way to weaponize who's in and who's Ooh. out, right? Yes. Hey, yes. our tribe says that you're not a Christian if you do or if you don't or if you believe this or if you believe not this. Here's the issue I have with it. Who Ooh. is the final authority on who's in and who's out, right? Because if Absolutely. you ask the Catholic Church, 
versus the Eastern Orthodox Church, versus the Protestant Church, versus the Australia Protestant Church, versus yeah. Hillsong, versus Mark Driscoll's yeah. Church, right? You're going to get different answers to this question. And so here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that communities can't have agreements, right? Where mm. they say, hey, as a Christian community that's local, we think that, that, that for us to be part of this community, these are some essentials, maybe their beliefs, maybe their actions. I get that. Okay. But to be uh, that audacious and to say, well, you're not a Christian. Think about what you're really saying. What you're saying is that in 2000 years of church history, no one who ever thought this or didn't think this was not a real Christian. That's a problem. That's yeah. a problem, especially when you consider, yeah. like, for example, Martin Luther, he believed in infant baptism. I know many Ooh. who would say that's unbiblical and not Christ-like. You can't be a Christian. So is Martin Luther now out, right? So we have <laughs> yeah. to realize that the Christian tradition is way more flexible on almost everything, even even very commonly held beliefs. You know, mm. there's so sects that might not that might not not hold to that. So I find this statement used as a weapon to draw mm. new boundaries around things of who's in, who's out, which is why, even for us as evangelicals, I affirm that Christian nationalists are legitimate Christians. That's what scares mm. me, frankly. I would affirm that Brian Houston is a Christian. I would affirm that yeah. Mark Driscoll's a Christian, right? I would affirm also that I think they weaponized Christianity, that they mm. found a harm, a way to pr uh, promote themselves and maintain their privilege and power. But in Christian thought, that's a legitimate strand of Christian thinking that can cause harm. So yeah. anyway, that's kind of my, my nutshell version of that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the things that I certainly think of is that, I mean, where do we get off even saying who is or isn't a Christian? Like the actual, like if being a Christian is about whether or not you are actually saved at the end of the day, like as if any of us could really say, like if you look in scripture alone, like I look at the case of Jesus, there are both examples of where his like um, allowance of people into the kingdom is pretty low. Like the threshold is pretty low. Like the <laughs> yeah. guy, the guy, the criminal that's on the cross that, you know, like says, remember me. That's it. Remember me. Doesn't say anything about anything that he's done, that he's sorry, that anything. Doesn't pray the sinner's prayer. Do you know right. what I mean? Totally. Jesus says, you will be in paradise to him. But then on the other hand, he turns around to those who, you know, um, he says that um, those who heal or prophesy in my name, I will say I never knew you. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like his his um, his threshold is really low, but then it's also really high. Mm -hmm. But it's mm -hmm. like, so how the hell are we supposed to know? Well, and I, I think about Zacchaeus, right? I mean, when he sold everything and gave it back four times, Jesus says salvation has come to this house. Not when he prayed a prayer and confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, not to burn in hell forever. So, yeah, you know, I right. think I think that there certainly is a case to make that in a sense, this might, this might, you know, some of your listeners might go, whoa, but there are kind of many paths to Jesus. Does that make sense? Like, yes. it's not just about pray this prayer. Don't go to the bad place. There's more Ooh. happening in the Christian tradition and even in the scriptures that, that, that paint a very different picture that we have to be honest about. I'm not saying this to be controversial or to try and get people not to be committed Jesus followers. I'm saying this because of the opposite, because when you read the scriptures, when you read words like salvation or redemption, it looks mm. very different based on the context. And we have to absolutely. be honest about that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the next one, 
the Bible is clear. So I actually <laughs> just watched a little reel that you put on just uh, before I jumped on this, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's getting ready for oh, this one. <laughs> heavens. I mean, I feel like I could speak for hours on this one alone. Mm. If, there had, if there is not a more overused and misapplied and also untruthful claim in all of our bumper sticker slogan Christianity, this has got to be top five, maybe top three. Because the reality is what this means is my interpretation of the Bible is clear. Yes. That's what we're really saying. The Bible is a complicated collection of books that depending on your cultural context and depending on the translators and the manuscripts they were sourcing it from and the the language you're reading it in is not very clear on a lot Mm. of things. And we have to, again, we just have to be honest about that. The Bible does have times where it contradicts itself, right? Things don't always make a lot of sense, in, at least to a Western mind. And so I find that this statement, again, is another weapon of, mm. oh, here's our clobber verse. The Bible says homosexuality is this. Here's our verse proving that, right? So they'll use those, they'll use this statement to prove a point. But when it comes to all of the conversations about Jesus and the and the rich and the poor, all of a sudden, well, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> or when Jesus says, turn the other cheek and pray for your enemies. Well, that's an ideal we just can't live up to. I don't know. The Bible's mm-hmm. clear, isn't it? So so again, it's not that the whole Bible is clear. It's that our select passages that we've used as weapons mm-hmm. to keep us in and other people out is clear. And that's a yes. very different conversation than trying to make it seem like, oh, just read this Bible in English and uh, you're all set. That's it. It does mm-hmm. not work that way. No, it's like there's a whole naivety to that statement, isn't there? Because, like, the Bible has literally been argued over since its creation. Like, there's nobody, there's been full councils that have sat down to argue over minute details or one word that has been used in Scripture. And um, last year I actually did study some Hebrew, Hmm. and it's like an ancient language. Like, we are being very naive when we say that the Bible is clear. because. They didn't even have vowels in their language. So right. how, there's no punctuation. There's no there, there's no semicolons, no periods, no new paragraph, no chapters, no verses. And here's exactly. the thing. It's not that we can't trust the work of translators, but we have yeah. to stop pretending that like it's like we're reading, we're reading, you know, a modern day novel. We're not reading Harry Potter. Okay, it no. was, this is not the Bible's native language. It was not designed with a Western audience in mind. We have to be aware of that. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, the next one. Hate the sin, but not the sinner. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I mean, the- there's some variations on that one. I think I've heard like sure. um, love the sinner, right. but not the sin, or so- something like that, right? This is predominantly used to, to attack the queer community. You will never hear this used at Jeff Bezos. Well, we love Jeff, but we hate his sin of greed. We, we his, yeah. he's abominable greed. Mm-mm-mm. You'll never hear that, <laughs> right? You'll never hear anyone say, "Well, we love Brian Houston, but we hate his sin of of power and control and platform," right? Because what this means is that if you're gay, it's our way of justifying that we cannot be around you, but we also can't be that cruel. So we have to create something that's that 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 distances us from our actual belief, which is that you're more of a sinner than us and that Mm. your sin is worse 
than arson. Now, I, by the way, but let me just clarify. I, in, uh, we are queer affirming here, so we don't believe mm-hmm. that that being queer is sinful. So I'm not saying mm-hmm. that from my vantage point. I'm just saying in the minds of people who use this, right? Yes, what they're yes. saying is, oh, all sin's equal, but we're going to treat you, and we actually believe that it's not, and that your sin of being gay is way worse than anyone mm-hmm. else's sin. That's what this comes down to. Well, I mean, if you actually apply this statement, then it we'd have to apply it to ourselves because we are also sinners. Like we would have to say, uh, you know, right. like it's just like quite a, such a strange statement. And I think the thing that I've always found very uncomfortable about it is that it sort of um, like you can't really separate our behaviours from who we are. Like we are who we are and what we do, right? So when you say something like that, you can't say that you are loving the sinner. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. and I actually think that the challenge, the reason why people came up with a statement like this in the first place, I don't know who's responsible for it, <laughs> but is because they have this, like, I, I don't know if you've had this, Tim, but throughout my Christian uh, life, I've had people talk about the tension between truth and love. Oh, my and God, so, yes. Yeah. And so there's this whole thing where we're not supposed to affirm people. We can love them, but we want to be truthful. Right. And we can't, you know, we can't pretend that there's, you know, truth. And then they go on about how Jesus perfectly balanced this love and truth thing. And right. I, was, I don't know about you, but this is, you know, I guess in some ways part of the deconstruction I've done is I've gone, why did we assume that love and truth are on the continuum? Right. Like why is one the extreme of the other? Like, right. Do you know what I mean? That's not the right sort of scale. Like that right. doesn't make any sense to me. And the if that's right the scale. if that's the case, then isn't love superior? Doesn't Paul say that 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 love is everything? If you speak of angels and, and of prophecies and the tongues, but not love, you're a clanging gong. So this idea of truth versus love is like a modern problem, right? Of like objective mm. reality versus like being soft. That's how we kind of think about love in a lot of ways. Mm. And if Jesus is the embodiment of both, then that means that you carry your own execution device to your death from your enemies. That's truth and love combined. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying, you know, yeah. um, and so I, I agree. Both these terms are, are, are just, they're, they're catchy lines that stick in someone's head that ultimately what they're really saying is not what they say on the surface, right? Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. They have a deeper meaning that's implied but not said, and this phrase explains it for me. Yes, absolutely. All right, cool. So we're actually on the last one. I ended up keeping it pretty trim because I thought we'll probably just have a bit of a chat on this podcast episode anyway. Right, right. Um, so, so the last one is they're only human. So this actually is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, not just a, a statement that I think we could do without. Do and tell. my reasons, my reasons are <laughs> is that when – so when um, when a leader or a pastor or something falls and has some kind of sin problem and falls from grace and everybody knows about it, you'll hear people giving this defense. Oh, you know, but they're only human. Like, are we for real? Like, I understand that there is the humanistic character traits that have brought this sin to pass. And, yes, we are all you know, in the same boat, but we haven't treated that person as human and before that point and neither have they. Do you know what I mean? So they have acted as though they are not human for a long time and then all of a sudden we want to, like, claim the human card and 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 use that as an excuse. I, that's the issue. I think it's like an excuse. It's like something that people say when um, 
they feel like the balance of conversation has gone too far in the judgment zone. So therefore I want to balance this out by going, Hey, they're only human though. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but that's, that's not helpful because like we don't actually, you actually did this awesome reel about tolerance and you were talking about how um, there is actually stuff that, you know, we've been taught not to tolerate certain things like in the world we don't tolerate this we don't tolerate sin but then in the christian world we tolerate leaders who shouldn't have a platform anymore and you bring up mark driscoll and i thought that is a great explanation as to why this their only human thing doesn't work because there is actually accountability that has supposed to happen and and why is it that when it comes to a pastor the accountability is between them and god Yep. Like everybody else, if you do something wrong, if you break the law, the the law will be applied to you. You will pay like whatever consequences for it. But then when yep. it comes to pastors and leaders, we're kind of like, oh, hang on a minute though. Uh, you know, I'm sure they were well-intentioned. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I want, I want to hear your thoughts on that one. So, okay. You know, for the audience, think about really quick, all these statements. You're not a Christian if you don't. The Bible is clear. Hate the sin, not the sinner. They're only human. Think about how each one of those phrases is applied, right? Mm-hmm. Think, think about the context. It's all designed to keep people in who are in and people out who are out. The Bible is clear. It's never used at Brian Houston when he doesn't meet qualifications for eldership via the New Testament letters, right? The mm-hmm. Bible's not clear then, but all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're only human. But if someone's queer, well, the Bible's clear and they're only human goes out the window. Right. So, yes. so, so all of these sayings are used to keep boundaries in place. It keeps those who are in promoted and healthy and in power. And it keeps us on the outside, on the outside. So mm-hmm. they're only human is one of those things where it's, it's exclusively used to justify. We're not talking about, oh, um, Brian Houston makes too much money. We're talking about massively abusive leaders who do Mm. massively abusive things. I mean, I'm not sure how familiar you are with John MacArthur or your audiences, but earlier this year, three stories, not one, not two, but three stories well documented with sources and emails and the victims came forward that Mark, uh, I'm sorry, not Mark, uh, John MacArthur since the 70s protected three different men on his staff who were pastors who were pedophiles. Mm. Now, trigger oh, warning, gosh. this might be a little extreme for your audience, so just be aware of this. It's graphic, but two of mm. which were molesting their, their own children, okay? Their own children. And one's yeah, still wow. in prison today. One's still in prison today. And the articles document how John and his staff knew, how they, they kicked out the woman who wanted to divorce her husband for doing that. I mean, all this stuff, right? And what's the argument? Well, you know, John's not perfect. Well, they're only human. Well, we have to give grace, right? This is a good example of how Mm. abused these terms are. They are simply tools to keep people who should not be in leadership in leadership. It keeps accountability Mm. far from them. And that's what this comes down to. You're right. He is only human. I'm only human. And we owe it to be accountable to our communities, especially if we're in a leadership position. If if people take our words seriously, right? If we have some kind of platform where people look to our our language and our our spaces and say, this person, I trust their view on this. I see it as authoritative. And then that person is found out to be doing harmful behaviors and is not repentant. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
They're only human is a way to say, well, let them keep doing it. And I would also like to add that even if they are repentant, some people should never, never, ever, ever be back in leadership ministry. Absolutely. If if tomorrow Mark Driscoll gets on his hands and knees and weeps and cries and begs for forgiveness, the way he shows repentance is by stepping down and being and doing something else with his life because yes. he's he's misused that platform so many times there is no reason for him to be there and also repentance means to go the other way so the way yes. that mark proves his own repentance is by going the other way from the platforms that have allowed him to continue in harm that's yes. how this has to work but this phrase they're only human is a way to bypass all of that and what it mm. says is oh Guys, you're 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 like like you said so well, Melanie. Mark, we put him on an unrealistic platform. Sure, maybe he put himself up there. Maybe he took our money. Maybe he mm-hmm. he positions himself that way. But it's really your fault for seeing him as 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 more than human, right? Therefore, it's on you. It's your problem for being too judgmental. So this phrase, like the other ones, are simply really well-oiled machines or they're really well-defined and really well-built tools to keep people in power in authority uh, in authority who would do a lot of harm and to keep people on the outskirts on the outskirts and people on the inside on the inside yeah absolutely right i love like what you were saying about mark driscoll like we just wouldn't even think about that would we we'd just be like this guy's too narcissistic for, to ever take a risk on him again to be put in the leadership of someone else and i'm not yeah you know, again like, I'm not saying that as judgment. I'm saying that as wisdom. Like, you just, yes, that's not smart. It's like, a that's wise smart. decision. That's exactly right. I mean, Mark yeah. Driscoll, I used to work at Apple and like the retail stores. Mark mm-hmm. Driscoll would have been fired on day one and <laughs> Apple would not rehire him. So how are we going to have lower standards than a, than a corporate secular company? Mm. Think about that. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, just, it just makes no sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, that's actually all of the questions. Like we've plowed through them and um, uh, yeah, it's been awesome. And I hope that our listeners um, out there will have a little bit more uh, thinking around the whole deconstruction stuff and just some of the statements that we've used here too. And um, you can jump onto Instagram and check out the new evangelicals and check out all the great work that Tim's doing with his team. And um, But yeah, thank you so much for being on here, Tim. It's just been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, listeners, that's it for 2022. Have a great break over the Christmas and New Year's. And the first episode will be back on the 21st of February, 2023. Oh, I feel a bit weird even saying that. God bless and keep going deeper.